I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We've heard it before from him, but he had that, oh, talk about a piece of overreaction from a biased co-commentator. I assumed he caught it with the top of his foot and rolled it through his own legs. That was the only thing I could think of that he must have done. But no, he tried to take a good touch and <laughs> fucked it up. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took a dangerous, dangerous ball went in over the top of the Liverpool defence and for a split second, Aston Villa were through. And then Ross Barkley comes along with that big head of his and gets rid. Brilliant clearance, decisive clearance. Liverpool were spared because of Ross Barkley's action. Moments later, Ollie Watkins plays Ross Barkley through who very coolly just takes the sting out of the situation. It looked perilous for Liverpool but Barkley stops the ball dead. He ushers Ramsey out of the way. He allows Fabinho and Obak to get in front of him. And the danger is gone. Liverpool are yet again safe. And seconds later, they go down the other side of the pitch and Trent Alexander-Arnold rattles the ball into the net. Liverpool win because Ross Barkley made the right choice at the other end of the pitch. Uh, I was going to save Ross Barkley for the Ulek Lem Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award later on but i've got loads for that liam i'm sure i'm sure you're expecting that so let's get into ross barkley now like what what like why is ross barkley coming on how much more evidence does dean smith need i i honestly don't know how big a sample size is going to eventually make him decide that's enough we now know we can now say with certainty that this isn't going to work and it's just compounded because well yet again ross barkley is so bad but we also expect that. And he comes on at the expense of Ramsey, who doesn't come on until the last 10 minutes. And Keenan Davis, who changed the match against Fulham, doesn't get a look in for the whole game. Doesn't like people were sort of half hoping he would start. Now, 
we all probably knew that wasn't going to happen. They wouldn't go two up top against Liverpool. Not to start with, anyway. But by bringing Ross Barkley on, he just eliminated that decision. Davis gets nothing, having been so good in the last match. And I, like, there's one piece of evidence where one player is so good and so confident, and he can change the game. And again, how much more evidence do we need of Berkeley not going to work? And that's the one he goes for. And that's the one, on top of other things, of course, but that's the one which costs the match. Yeah, it's not like me to call back to moments that prove that I was right, but I told you to grow up last week. <laughs> I mean, that was a particularly bad shot to bring Berkeley on on the left wing from you. But tonight's decision to bring him on, or afternoon's decision to bring him on, was just absolutely gobsmacking you're right to mention Keenan Davis because the idea here I'm sure was that he didn't want to go to attack anyone to take off his defensive midfielder for a forward when he was drawn one all away to the champions but Keenan Davis on doesn't lose you anything in defense whenever the other option is Ross Barkley apparently playing in midfield yeah I mean you've jumped into his what I think were his fifth and sixth touches after he came on there let's just go through his first three his first touch was a miscontrolled volley from a throw-in straight to a Liverpool player to send him on a counter-attack. The next one, he played a first-time volley through ball that the commentator claimed was lovely. And there were elements of it that were nice, but let's be honest, it was overhead and a wasted opportunity. Yeah. He played him too wide. The next thing that Ross Barkley did in that match was he volleyed the ball off himself yeah. back into our box. He volleyed it off himself. <laughs> fuck off. Go home. And I mean go back to fucking London. I, I still remember one time when I was 15 playing football at lunchtime in school on a gravel pitch and the embarrassment I tried to... I, I was facing my own goals. It was in, in the other team's half and I tried to hook the ball over my, my left shoulder, sort of, you know, a diagonal cross-field ball sort of into the far corner. And I, I hit it off my own hand. And everybody was pissing themselves laughing. You know, because I was just trying this massive hooked clearance. You know, somebody was up my ears. And I hit off my own hand. And I was sort of looking to see where the ball was going. But by that stage, it had gone the other direction. And I still remember the embarrassment of that. Ross Barkley is doing that in a Premier League match that you're drawn with the champions. And at the age of his own box. He, like, honestly, he tried his very best to bring Liverpool back into that game. And <laughs> you've mentioned... Some of those chances. What about then the, the chances that he actually had? The shot, the left-footed shot was as tame as a Firmino shot. That's how bad that was. And like those ones he's played through, he was through on goal. The one McGinn just chipped a lovely little ball over the top of everyone. And Barkley didn't even, didn't even think about taking it down his chest. There was nobody behind him. He was in behind and he heads it back 20 metres. He found a Villa player, but there was, you know, the danger was over then. Like, and, and then... He gives the ball away again later on and he starts screaming. You can hear him screaming because he realized that he's ballsed up. And it's like, we, we've seen him do that. And he, he knows he's going to do that now as well. He's he's a broken player and he's just not a good player anymore. And the fact that he got brought on for Davis, I, I, honestly, I, th I think, no, not for Davis, but he ruled out being able to bring on Davis. And like you say, you weren't going to get anything from him anyway in a defensive output because Ramsey was involved in that ball. Like that, like that one that ended up leading to uh, the Liverpool goal. Like Ramsey and Barkley sort of got their wires crossed, looked at each other. Barkley didn't do anything in the end. Ramsey was the one then trying to close down Trent. He was a bit slow closing him down. 
But then you just look at the replay and Barkley is drifting in the picture, watching all this unfold yet again, like he always does. I saw Watkins run past him three times in a defensive situation as well. It's unforgivable stuff. And the first touch he takes from that throw-in, after he fucks that up, he jumps into the air as if to say, oh, no. It's not, oh, no. Get back, Ross. What are you doing? Yeah. And you're talking about feeling embarrassed when you volley the ball off your own hand. Imagine how embarrassed you should be if you're on 80 grand a week. If you're a player that people talked about being the key signing of the summer. People talked about this as the greatest signing of the summer. It's been an absolute fucking disaster. And actually pretty much like Aston Villa's 2021. The best thing about Villa's 2021 was the, the under-23s playing against Liverpool and losing 4-1. Like that, that's been the best uh, bright spark of this year for Villa. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because yet again, I'm, I'm seeing, like, I'm not, I haven't even been on Twitter because that, that would just annoy me, but like, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the hope in Carragher's voice. I'm hearing the analysis in the studio and how many teams are going to get fooled into thinking that they're back because they've beaten Aston Villa. <laughs> this, like, this is Groundhog Day. I'm saying this over and over, but all these teams who've gotten results against Villa over the last few months have not built on it because they've just played a really shit team in the middle of a bad run of form. And that game today was two terrible teams who didn't want to do anything with the ball, and Villa were just worse than Liverpool. Yeah, they, they actually called that out at the start of the game as well, where they said Jose Mourinho's Spurs rectified their European disaster by playing Aston Villa. Yeah. Will Liverpool do the same? They, the Spurs were fucking dreadful. <laughs> Liverpool were shite tonight as well. How many clear-cut chances did Liverpool have? Like, if Liverpool aren't beating that Aston Villa team, a team that decided to not play a midfield and then played a negative midfield by bringing on Ross Barkley, <laughs> like, come on. Like, they're not back. They've got a lot more to do. At the end of the game, Kelly Cates is saying, oh, this might tee them up really well for the for the Real Madrid game. And what world is that in the same, same playing field as playing Real Madrid? <laughs> Christ almighty. This isn't preparing them for anything. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the offside. Um, I know, I know there are frustrations with VAR, right? And you know, if I was a Villa fan, there you, you wouldn't feel hard done by, but you'd be really annoyed. Like I, I get why people are disappointed that that's given as offside, but this, this is as objective as it can get. Like I, I feel less sympathy with VAR decisions. We, 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 we've we've had our complaints with VAR. Everybody has. But when it's offside, like you know, we're we're deciding somewhere where the point is that a player is offside or not. And again, you might disagree where that point should be. You might say the technology is unreliable. And like you know, I understand that we don't trust the lines being drawn by by a human. But but either way, somebody is taking a guess at whether or not this is offside. When when it's a tight call like that, it's you know it's it's going to be up for debate. No matter what, and this is the most accurate way of guessing, essentially. Like you know, other than that, was it coming down to a linesman deciding? Like I think, honestly, I'm I'm not just saying this because I'm a Villa supporter. You have to look at that and realize, even if you're a Liverpool fan, you have to realize that Villa would be equally as pissed off if that wasn't given as offside. Because the rule is supposed to be: if you're offside, you're offside. Again, I get that it's tight. So nobody's going to be happy in this situation or there's going to be one team upset because it's so tight. But we have to decide where it is. And for Villa, they would feel 
rightly so pissed off if we said, ah, you know, that's that's tight, let's just leave it. If, if it's offside or not, like you can change the lines if you want, but this is the best way of doing it. And I think the fact that people are happy to say it's not offside if Cash touches it. You know, Carragher was like, because he's tried to play it, it shouldn't be offside. If that satisfies you that that now rules out the rule, then it, it only shows that, <laughs> that that VAR is only really annoying when it goes against your team, when it goes against what we want. When we're all guilty of it, we definitely are. But I think with offside, I I have I have less sympathy with the with the complaints about it. It's it's a, as close as we can get to saying no, no, like we're going to make it black and white. I know you can't make it black and white, but we're trying to do that, and this is way better than somebody standing at the side of the pitch. I don't know if it is. Jamie Carragher said we all know what offside is. We don't need VAR, Connor. <laughs> but like coming back to the the partisanship that falls into it, I'm gonna sound like a partisan idiot here, but like the Trezeguet penalty appeal it, it's definitely a penalty Trent is pushing into and leaning on someone that's trying to run past him and then he slides and takes his foot it's a penalty and the only thing more confusing to me than the fact that it wasn't given was the fact that nobody cared the players didn't appeal and the commentators didn't care we had to listen to Jamie Carragher spending 15 minutes complaining about an offside call being given as offside and then when his team and his golden boy give away a penalty, he doesn't even talk about it. He's trying to figure out how Trezeguet got injured because he was fouled, Jamie. Fouled by a Liverpool player in the Liverpool box. I mean, Sky have got to get out of this pathetic routine of giving Jamie Carragher Liverpool matches and Gary Neville United matches. Yeah. I mean, earlier in the season, we had to put up with Gary Neville giggling like a child when Bruno Fernandes was given a penalty for trying to break Conza's leg. Like, it doesn't add to the game, having cheerleaders in the commentary box. Stop it. The fact that Trent Alexander-Arnold has just whipped in a glorious finish in the 91st minute for Liverpool to win their first game at Anfield in what, eight matches. And Carragher, who I love for the most part, his first piece of analysis on it is, are you watching Gary Neville? I thought that was the moment where this has gone too far. Like, you know, that that's just a great piece of play, a big moment in Liverpool's season, very important moment. And all that matters to him is that argument he was having with Gary Neville a couple of weeks ago. You know, it was just like, it, we're indulging ourselves now when it's getting to this Liverpool v United thing. And, and you're right, Sky are only helping them do that. Well, like, they've disappeared up their own arses, the pair of them. I mean, they're not the story. They're there to to make the actual story, which is the football that's happened on the pitch, more interesting by shining some light on it, by bringing all their expertise and experience, by giving us a little insight that we can't see because we don't have 50 different camera angles. Their job isn't to have a laugh and try and get a rise out of each other on Twitter. And it seems like... An awful lot of the time, that's all they're thinking about. What's happening on Twitter right now and what will people say? Like, like that could potentially be, and I'm not overblown it, like, you know, if Liverpool go on, like, I'm not saying that this result will spark that, but if they do go on to, to reach top four, you know, like, that's a big moment in that season. That's, that's potentially an iconic moment of this season. Imagine that being played as the iconic highlights of the season. Are you watching Gary Neville like that? <laughs> how, how quickly will that age? Because all it is is just a petty, uh, mostly a bit of fun between those two. Like, it's, it's like you grow up. Like, just 
fair enough. Like that, like I'm, I'm gripped watching those two arguing, and it's actually a good discussion about Trent, Trent Alexander Arnold. We've had the discussion ourselves, but move on. Like there's other things happening now, and he's just whipped in a glorious finish. Just talk about that. Yeah, the argument was a Monday night. The goal was scored two seconds ago. What do you want to talk about? The fucking argument a week ago, or the screamer that just went into the net. <laughs> but. Uh, I think the bottom line on the VAR offside decision is that that Roberto Firmino strike was so bad that it did not deserve a goal. Like, <laughs> it was it was a, a bad decision. He tried to drill it where there were four or five bodies in his way across the goals into the left, left-hand side as he was facing it. And he hits it so badly that it comes off the outside of his boot and just pops up into the right side of the net, high into it. And like... I've never seen a ball stricken as terribly as that. And because of that, no goal. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea how he did it. That You couldn't strike a ball worse and get a better result out of it. It was incredible. And just finally, um, the Salah goal. The players just cantering through. I, th- I thought the Salah goal summed up Villa today. Even though they went ahead and... Because of that, you can sometimes forget how ineffective they've been largely. But And this made me frustrated at Dean Smith as well. We'll talk a bit more about about him and some of the decisions later. But like the only reason Villa weren't three down by the time Salah scored was because they were playing Liverpool at Anfield. Like, all those mistakes. Like, Bertrand Ferrari and Trezeguet, genuinely, I think it was two of the worst performances of the season. And we've been tough on El Ghazi, but I was there tonight thinking... Bring on El Ghazi. <laughs> you know, like these, like Mings teeing up Salah should be a goal. Should be a definite goal. Manny going through at the end should be a goal. Bertrand Trori just trying another one of those classic volleys across the pitch should be a goal. There were so many incidents where Villa were just gifting it to Liverpool. And it was mostly, it felt like Trori and Trezeguet giving them all the momentum. Like Trezeguet tried one, a little flick back to Douglas Louise on the left wing, which completely left Villa wide open because. It didn't even come close to coming off. And once again, Liverpool streamed down the pitch and, and had another big chance. And that just summed up Villa. And I thought the Salah goal was just, it was coming so far down the tracks and Villa did nothing to rectify it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The only the only reason Liverpool could win that game, because they were really sloppy and they were there for the taking. And I'm surprised that our approach to the game was so passive to begin with. Because Liverpool were bad. They were misplacing passes like you wouldn't believe and luckily they were playing against Dougie and Nakamba I mean for someone who is so dreadful on the ball Nakamba has to be impeccable in defence to be a Premier League centre midfielder but I wouldn't even say he's good never mind impeccable and the very minimum I would expect is that he would see react to and track a fullback's underlap I mean Robertson gets in behind him far too easily and Nakamba's reaction is dreadful. I mean, we could all see it developing. Just run back with him. I mean, it's a brilliant strike from Robertson. It's unlucky for Martinez and it's an incredible reaction from Salah. But Nakamba has to cut that out a lot earlier. And even the build-up to that, it looks okay from Liverpool, but it's so slow from the Villa midfield. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Milner, Wijnaldum and Fabinho is an incredible midfield. And they're even better when your midfield is doing nothing in defence yeah. and playing unbelievably sloppily on the ball. I mean, if you're going to be outrun, outfought by players that are better than you at football, 
then you are fucked. <laughs> yeah. Nakamba and Dougie were so deep. They never pressured the ball. They let people run off their shoulders all day. And when they got the ball, it was the same energy. There was no intensity. They were kicking the ball behind players or drilling it past them straight out of play. I don't think they could have been worse. It was the reverse of Liverpool against Real Madrid. Like that lack of intensity, lack of pressing in midfield. And when they had the ball, they were just losing it very quickly. And this was Villa tonight and Liverpool were the, were the benefactors of it. Let's get into WhatsApp winges. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. First one. Straighten your fucking arse up and just take a normal touch of the ball. <laughs> oh my God. I think everybody listening to this knows who you're talking about. But there, I actually felt a little bit bad for him on the one I assume you're talking about where Fabinho looked like he was pulling him. But it was pathetic. I mean, the ball is so far away from John McGinn and he's still trying to arse, his way, arse Fabinho out of the way. Yeah. Just go and run towards the ball. I mean, it worked out okay for him in the first couple of minutes down in the corner. And then he tried another one just before this incident with Fabinho that was just, oh, John, learn your fucking lesson. You can't play football with your arse. Use your fucking feet. There was another time where he was running across, finding good positions, and uh, there was nobody behind him. And he's just expecting somebody. To be, maybe that's good that somebody's expecting and he's trying to set his body in case. But because of that, he doesn't get a proper touch. Like, McGinn setting his body means he's sticking his arse out and hunching his, his, his torso parallel with the ground. And then the ball just gets trapped underneath him and he, he flicks it back out to a Liverpool player. Like, you know, it was there just to take a touch and turn and Villa were... We're singing, yeah. and it was just annoying because Villa had a good start to the first ten minutes, and they look zippy, and that looked like a clear tactic. Like you know, we'll win the ball back, we'll move it fast, we'll find McGinn in there, and he was in there. But then when he got it a couple of times, he balls it up. Yeah, and it's particularly annoying because you think, based on tonight or this afternoon, that he would have known that no one was behind him since he's playing with fucking Dougie and and the Campbell. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he should be used to that. But there was a couple as well where. Because he's so hunched over the ball, he, he can't get it out of his feet quick enough. And then he can't play the pass or he can't have the shot. Or it's just, he's just, his body shape's all over the place. He's, yeah, he, he needs to sort his head out. And he did look good in the first couple of minutes. And I did feel sorry for him because he was doing a lot of running tonight, covering for other people who we've already mentioned. Yeah. Oh, like, I don't want to get too down on him. Like, I didn't think he was, he was that bad. I thought he was probably more exciting than he was bad but um that was just a particularly annoying thing early on second whatsapp wins how the fuck is terori still on the pitch <laughs> honestly like this was after 61 minutes i wrote that down and he stayed on for another seven minutes because <laughs> it was only because he was forced to come off he was injured that, that, that he got brought off I have to assume that that injury was, he was faking it. He wanted to come off. He could, he also couldn't believe that he was on the pitch. Yeah. So he had to just go down injured. I mean, Robertson ran past him and Troy grabs his ribs. It was unbelievable. There was <laughs> three instances in the first half where he tries a volleyed flick Cruyff turn to no one. There's nobody there. Don't know yeah. what he's doing. He plays a through ball straight out of play and 20 yards from the nearest Villa player. And then he tries that cross field ball. That is so bad. Not only does he kick it straight to Salah, but target's not even where Troy is assuming he is. Yeah. I mean, if Salah didn't intercept that, it was going straight out for a Liverpool throw-in. 
So ignoring the fact that how dangerous it is, how difficult a task it is, and how you shouldn't do those two things together, it was fucking pointless. The player he was playing it to wasn't there. Mm. And Jamie Carragher shouts out, what was that? I'll tell you what that was. It was Bertrand fucking Trory. That's what he does, Jamie. He he doesn't. He didn't even look like that's the thing. He he didn't even look to see who was there. Like never mind Liverpool players. Like you say, Target had sort of come in field and and he wasn't where Bertrand Trory was presumably hoping he was. But just have a look before you decide. Like I'm going to take this risk. Like never take that risk. Obviously, is the first is the first point. But have a look. And like the, there was a piece of commentary you mentioned one of the flicks there was another one like not long after that and the piece of commentary could honestly be applied to every single match. It, it said and I quote, "Terori with a flick which ends up giving possession away." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, like just just tried another flick, didn't care what the outcome was, and unfortunately for us, the outcome was yet again giving possession away." That's that's our Bertrand Terori. Uh, we got we got a tweet at the Villa podcast from Finn Ryder. Who said extra cheese, sauce, beef, bacon, and nothing healthy on that burger today? Obviously, talking about the Bertie T burger, but I would say I would go one further. I would say the only the only thing this meal was consistent of today was a bowl of cheese and sauce and oil and some bits of fat. I don't think there was any any eating in that burger at all. There was nothing enjoyable about it. It was just danger for cholesterol and for your taste buds. Yeah, it was a bacon offcut, just fried in butter, and then served with a block, a full block of cheddar in between a all butter brioche bun. <laughs> yeah. Well, that does make it sound a bit better, the brioche bun. <laughs> um, like, yeah, Bertrand Trory is a heart attack waiting to happen, much like that burger. <laughs> and Lewis Newman also said it wasn't a burger this week, it was a fillet of fish. <laughs> between the two buns, the brioche buns. The third WhatsApp one, I actually changed this. <laughs> I changed this because I had written it about Trezeguet and then I doubled down on it about Trerori. And then when he came on, it changed my mind. <laughs> so it was, ah, just get El Ghazi on. <laughs> <laughs> I've scored out the, ah, just get and on. And I've written, El Ghazi is the worst player in the air of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've talked about how bad he is in the air a few times, but nothing could have prepared us for that header at the end. That was pathetic. Did I he mean, even connect with his head? Sorry, I don't know why I called it a header. Yeah, for that shoulder at the end, it was unbelievable. And it was the big moment as well. It was the 92nd minute. We got a ball into the box. We got a man free. We got him isolated with their diminutive fullback. And that's what gets produced at the end of it. Can someone actually try to find me a clip where El Ghazi does connect with a ball of his head? <laughs> like, think about the one time he has allegedly scored with his head an amazing, important goal at Wembley in the playoff final. He backs it in. His head misses the ball and it hits off the top of his back, bottom of his neck, and it goes in. Like, he, he actually, it's not even that he's bad in there, which he is terrible in there. He, he can't judge the time. He, he's not aggressive. He's not strong in there, considering how strong he is. Uh, he actually just, I don't know what it is. Is it a perception thing? He, he can't he can't get his head to hit the ball. He always misses it. And that was another example. Yeah, he's a fucking cunt. The, <laughs> 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 the last WhatsApp one, 
Oh, fuck off, Southgate, with your fucking hat. <laughs> they had done so well to not show him. Somebody mentioned it, and I thought, oh, here we go. And they didn't show him. They kept, like, the director just thought, nah, I'm not giving this guy the satisfaction. But, of course, they had to show him when, when Trent scored. And there he is with his little Peaky Blinders hat and face mask and just annoying me again. <laughs> yeah, just annoying me as much as you bringing him up annoys me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've, we've talked about it before and maybe, maybe the Sky producers have been listening and hopefully they'll listen about Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher being given United and Liverpool games respectively, but they didn't keep the camera on him. I mean, they had a lot to do during that two minutes of silence at the start of the game and they had it on him for about three, 30 seconds during that, but they did wait until Trent Alexander had his moment, but you know, you just know they were pathetically waiting for Trent Alexander-Arnold to do something decisive either in a defensive cock-up way or by scoring a goal that's what they were waiting for and they had the camera poised and ready to go on gareth southgate (laughs) grow up let's just watch the fucking football match and the same can be said like you mentioned with jamie carragher because he was ready and poised for trent to do anything it's like the obviously to a lesser extent the Kane argument like we don't need to pretend that he's doing something good and Trent would just fizz the ball into a midfielder. And, did, and actually, the the producers and the director obliged in showing replays of these just normal passes from a right-back to a midfielder because Carragher said, Trent again, this is what he does so well. It's like, well, it's what he does. He start moves off. Like, he, he does other things on top of this. But like, you, don't, you don't have to double down on this. Let's yeah. just see what Trent Alexander turns out to be like. I yeah. mean, all the signs we have is he's going to be incredible. Like you don't need to pretend he's incredible. It'll happen or it won't. It's not. He's not your son, Jamie. Just let it happen. And if he's shit, just say he's shit. I mean, yeah. it's okay. No one's gonna blame you. But like, what? Like, like the goal's incredible. I and mean, what is the point of in, of signing an incredible goalkeeper? And what is the point of that goalkeeper making an incredible save? Yeah. If the ball is just gonna fall to that little bollocks, and he's just going to do that. I mean, the power, the swerve, the accuracy of the shot is just too much for anybody to be able to generate. It's incredible. Ah, And there's nothing Martinez can do about it. And that just proves my point all the more. You don't have to talk about just rudimentary passes that Trent Alexander is playing. Because he might just do that at the fucking end. And you don't have to talk all that nonsense about normal things that he's doing. Well, let's get into handing out some awards. Mike Ashley has turned Newcastle into a discount sports company and appointed a discounted bargain basket manager. Glenn Roder, Kenny Dogalish, Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce. What a fucking parade of cavemen. That is the only reason Andy Carroll is a professional footballer. Only Steve Bruce and Neil Warnock have got promoted more times than Mick McCarthy. That's not even a good stat because the good managers kept their teams up <laughs> and then progressed their careers. <laughs> Dean Smith will never get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Brendan Rodgers won't get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Pep Guardiola once again reveals himself to be a cunt. 
Do me a fucking favour, as if Jack Grealish needs to go play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to progress his career. <laughs> that is absolutely a step backwards. Put this on record, United won't be within 10 points of the title. I, I genuinely believe that, and I'm not even trying to exaggerate, it's not hyperbole. Three, four games of, of bad run, United are out of the title race, like that, and that will happen to them, that will definitely happen. What gets Sean Dyche out of bed in the morning? Like, how does he do it? Imagine how exciting a job that would be. Imagine coming home and saying to your partner, I got a new job! I'm a football manager! And then going out and doing that with it? What a waste of time! Steve Bruce is a graying pair of slazenger socks in the basket by the checkout that nobody wants. You like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award? I mean, where to start here? Having to be forced into taking off Bertrand Ferrari 67 minutes into the game. Like that that could have been leaving Bertrand Ferrari on for 67 minutes, but it's worse because he had to be forced to take him off through injury. We talked about him there. We can mention him again if you want in a second. But the first one I want to chat about is the second nomination. Not going through the middle over and over and over like never mind only doing it once and getting a goal because of it but just not pounding Liverpool where they were where they have been obviously so weak all season long and right now like their their axis their their three player axis is shaky as fuck and Villa didn't go after it. And the one time they went after it, they get a handy ball from McGinn to Watkins, who has all the space in the world because they're just so indecisive and and unsure of themselves in there. And then it's not a good finish from Watkins and Allison makes a blunder and it goes underneath him. And we didn't try that. It's just just so often we, we didn't go after it. And I, I, I think that's a... Even at halftime, not to say, get after him through that middle. Like, that's where they're hurt. Like, don't freak out. You'll have space and time. Do it. it. It's just all wrong that Villa didn't hound him in that area. Yeah, and it makes the Ross Barkley decision all the more baffling or the leaving on Trory decision all the more baffling. I mean, Keenan Davis was begging to be brought on into that game. I mean, Liverpool were there to be got at. The goal, it was it was dreadful from Allison, An amazing goalkeeper who's having an absolutely torrid season. Far too many mistakes. But months and months of John McGinn pretending he was being serious with those ridiculous, wound-up, speculative 40-yard spanks was all <laughs> leading to this moment. The moment where he would trick Ozan Kabak into thinking he was shooting before playing the free ball. I, mean, I do get the impression you don't need months of planning to deceive Ozan Kabak, but it was, it was lovely from McGinn and a dreadful finish from Watkins. Now that you say Ozan Kabak, I think I realised I called him Obak earlier. That's <laughs> just ah. uh, a pet name for him. But that's what I meant. Yeah, like, yeah, it was just annoying. Liverpool are so weak there. Like, that surely should have been the game plan. But it brings me on to the, the third nomination. Not going after Trent over and over and over again. And I don't mean this as a slight on him, but he's just had a dreadful game against Real Madrid. His confidence is low. You could tell by the... By the way, he was roaring at the linesman and got himself a yellow card out in Madrid. Like, you know, of course he's frustrated. Like, there's a lot of talk about him. And even even if that talk is overblown, 
like that can help create the facts that you know just it, it will eventually turn into something when there's so much chatter about it and it gets into your head and you know it's it starts becoming a thing where he's trying to prove himself and if villa had just went after him then who knows he might have got a bit of joy but they didn't once go after him like they didn't even well by putting Trezeguet there for the entire game meant that they were never ever going to go after him but but nobody tried anything to expose him in any way defensively and I, I felt like that was just another route that was crying out to be explored yeah and he, he kicked out of Trezeguet in that game as well and like let, Trent Alexander's not a brilliant one-on-one defender so it is strange that you wouldn't try to exploit it anytime you played him I mean you obviously have to be very careful that you don't end up putting somebody over there who's to attacking and won't bother tracking him back because he's a brilliant attacking fullback but it is a bit strange because there was so many different ways we could have we could have attempted it you know we could have had two centre forwards on and one of them drifting more to that side of Liverpool's defence or you could have just for the first time ever tried Bertrand Trory on the left wing yeah particularly because he was doing fuck all on the right wing that would make you think well I can't take him off there just move him around. That's such a simple thing to do whenever your wingers aren't firing from the start. It's just swap them around. Trezeguet can play in the right wing as well. Yeah. Throw Bertie T over there. Get him running at Trent Alexander. Let's see what happens. Like you're right. He's, he's having a stinker. He's been dropped. His confidence must be in some way shook. If you can just knock the ball past him once or twice, he might collapse. You don't know. Let's find out though. Let's just... Let, let, let's not let him work his way into the game and yeah. eventually score a screamer. That's let's like, just test it. We might be wrong. He might be unbelievably strong mentally, but fucking find out. Yeah. And I tell you what, moving Trezeguet over to the right would have been important because like he wasn't going to test Trent, so that was pointless. Andy Robertson started dominating in the second half, so it would have been good to have Trezeguet over there anyway. And Trezeguet could just do the same role that he does, like bring the energy get back and help in the fence and get forward again. And like Trezeguet's, Trezeguet's best trait, and I mean this in an attacking sense too, is just energy. Like he'll, he'll get into those positions, he'll get forward again, he'll make himself available. He's not always great, but he'll do that. So by putting him over to a different flank, doesn't change that. And I had actually earmarked Terori at the Fulham match to try him on the left-hand side because he was terrible against Fulham as well until the last... 20 minutes or whatever it was and that's why it sort of just went off at them because he ended up roasting two players on the right hand side setting up the last goal and he played a couple of lovely balls and ended up winning Villa the match too but my big frustration with him in that game was that he never turns and takes on the fullback so if you put him on the left where he's completely left footed then he's forced to face up and actually start thinking of ways of of beating his man and taking defenders out of it rather than flicking it inside and like you know I think I said Trezeguet was good in the final third. I think he's good in the final quarter. <laughs> you know, he needs to be that far up the pitch where he's now a threat. But like outside that, he's never in a dangerous position, body shape wise and just positionally wise to, to ever worry a fullback. But if you move him over onto his left where his whole body position has to change, then he could get at Trent. And like you say, just try it. It might not work, but why not try it? Yeah, and it it does do two things. You're right about that. Whenever a player has got the propensity, or sorry, just a non-stop habit of just cutting in on his favourite foot, sometimes you just have to take that off them. Yeah. I mean, he's just running into traffic non-stop. Like, you just would not believe. Take that away from him. If you've got him on the left wing, he can't do that because he's so one-footed. He is not cutting in on that right wing. And as well... 
playing inverted wingers tonight was probably a little bit strange because of how weak Liverpool's two centre halves are. Yeah. And, and how much a mistake their keeper has in this game. Get the ball in the wing and maybe cross it in. Let's see what happens from that as- aspect as well. Ollie Watkins is brilliant in the air. Toss a few in there. We mentioned it earlier, but I, I think another nomination is is Davis and Ramsey together, considering how good they were against Fulham. And I know the caveat was that it's Fulham, but like, <laughs> what what are we using to, to to judge players on? Like they just did it in a game that we came from behind in the first time all season. And just the lack of game time, 10 minutes between the two of them and nothing for Davis. Just thought that that was that's just a terrible managerial decision considering what they gave you only a few days earlier. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, before this game, I knew Ross Barkley was going to come on. I just I think I'm, 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 I am surprised and really disappointed that Dean Smith allowed himself to be caught up in the potential narrative of Ross Barkley finding his form against his childhood rivals <laughs> and grow up Ross Barkley's finished as a footballer especially for Aston Villa or at least for Aston Villa anyway like it's not going to happen these stories aren't going to, like they're so rare and it's so pathetic that you're trying to just generate it out of nothing Ross Barkley wasn't going to change that game today don't bring him on and to that end like that is the final nomination I know I know it's uh it sort of goes hand in hand with the Davis and Ramsey thing, but bringing Ross Barkley on just has to be the clear winner here. Uh, like I said, I don't know how much evidence he needs to decide that it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen. I think we can all agree on that now. And um, I think bringing him on, it, it was just a bad, bad choice. And I think that has to, has to go down as the winner. Yeah, absolutely, it was pathetic. Uh, Peter Enkelman, what the fuck award? <laughs> Again, take your pick. Tyrone Mings cushioning a lovely ball through for Salah, just setting it up nicely for him. Bad miss from Salah, but only a week after a massive cock-up against Mitrovic, and he does it again, and that should have been a goal. Since the start of the season, we have been crying about Aston Villa's ponderous playing out from the back, the needless knocking it around and rolling it back to the keeper. But when we said stop playing it back to fucking Martinez, this isn't what we meant, Tyrone. We didn't mean just miss the ball. Fucking hell. How can this be something that creeps into your game? Two weeks in a row to misplay a back pass so badly to the opposition's best attacker. Oh my God. Wait, what was it though? Was it a back pass? Or like, th- this is actually the closest you will get to a Peter Enkelman what the fuck moment. Like, it seemed like it was. It was somewhere between taking a touch and passing it back and he like I say he just cushioned it with his right foot like he was taking the the pace out of it so Salah could run on to it better I, I honestly don't know what he was trying to do though was he was he trying to play that back to Martinez he was trying to play it back to Martinez on his right foot I mean we'll never know because before during and afterwards it was just all the same thing it was just Tyrone Mings chewing his gum and putting the thumb up <laughs> put that fucking thumb down sir and start playing some fucking football the Bertrand Terori crossfield volley, like we mentioned, the Barkley clearance, like we made, like the Mings thing is is awful, and it was the it was the one that caused the biggest chance, so it should definitely win. But the Barkley clearance was so bad that I, I don't know if I want to just 
throw it out so quickly and the only other nomination and maybe uh, the biggest potential winner is Allison as well no let's spread the awards out let's give this one to Mings Ross has already won run an award there so let's let's give this one to Tyrone they all need to learn a lesson <laughs> yeah. well on that end let's get into the Vyman meter because going down and you're not going to like this and it's not really that fair but because of the high standards that I set I have Ezra Kanza. And I'll tell you why. It's for one moment. It's that missed header from a lovely cross from Matt Target. And I'm thinking, if I'm Ezra Kanza's manager now, I'm absolutely delighted with him. His progress is great. He's obviously better than Mings. He's Villa's best defender by a mile. He's obviously England quality. Yet again tonight, he was brilliant defensively. He needs to start, he needs to start adding more goals. Not even more goals, but he just needs to start putting away chances when he gets them. Like that... That is a perfect ball, whipped around the defence. He is, what, seven metres out? In behind everyone, there's no pressure on him. And he just floats it into Alisson's hands. Just one good connection with his head there, and that's a goal. And it's a, it's a high bar, but like that's, that's the bar that Kanza set, and he needs, to start, he needs to start delivering there when he gets those chances. Yeah, and this, this can't become a trend. I mean, your thing can't be that you miss sitters. Yeah. I mean, he needs to get that out of his game. And you're talking about setting a high bar. Here's a, an equivalent bar. Alex Ferguson stopped six foot three, 14 stone of prime British beef in Rio Ferdinand from going up from corners <laughs> because it was a waste of time. And Ezri Kanza is getting into that situation. I mean, what is the point of him being up there if he's just going to repeatedly miss? I think this is the fourth sitter he's missed this season. Mm. And the other thing... The other reason why Rio Ferdinand would be left back there is because he's so good in defence, but also for a counter-attack because he's so fast and so brilliant at defending. And Ezri Kanza is also those things. So would you just leave him back? Because if he's going to keep missing, what's the point? What's the risk What's the risk reward of playing your centre-half in the opposition's box if he's just going to miss anyway? Yeah. He, he just needs to be spoken to. Any, I don't know if he has that target yet, but like you know when you hear people like, Stones uh, talking about trying to get up to whatever amount of figures for a season. Like, th- like somebody needs to chat to Kanza about that because John Terry scores that. And again, I know that's that's a high bar, but like that's where we want Kanza to get there. And that's that's the tone with which the conversation should be had. Like you're you're excellent. Let's let like if you want to be a top defender now, here's one definite element that you need to improve on because not only do you need to improve on it, it's bad. And it's costing us big in games at the minute. And yeah, like you say, we could have somebody else there instead. You know, we could have House clearing it as well. <laughs> but like, you know, it could be a different shape up there. But like, he's he's eating up that that set piece and not doing anything with it. Yeah, and that's that's the annoying thing about that header tonight from Kanza. It was so lacking in conviction. I mean, he just cushioned it back for Allison. There was nothing in the header. It was like it was like a back pass. It was a waste of time, and it was you're right. It was such a delicious ball in. The Liverpool defenders didn't know what they were doing. Allison couldn't come for it, and it was right onto Kanza's head. Put your fucking head on it properly. I wanted to talk about Douglas Louise, but you've already um, made it clear where you stand on it. Like, don't get me wrong, I am very frustrated with Douglas Louise tonight, but I actually wanted to ask you, like, how did you think he did overall? Like. I, I, I thought he, he helped bring a bit of tempo on the ball. And I thought he nicked in and won won a few balls. And maybe I'm just 
clouded with, with earlier on and he looked like he was up for it and he looked more honest and he was he was willing to try and have a bit more of an impact, which is exactly what we were demanding of him after the last match. I, I don't know if he brought it, but I think he did help sort of just the intensity on the ball with Villa, which wasn't often, but I don't know. It was a, I thought it was a bit of an improvement from him. I, I thought he was absolutely dreadful. I, I think neither him nor Nakamba got the balance right of when to go. They were going in ones. They were they were all over the place. They, they didn't... How many times did a Liverpool player pick the ball up and was facing our back four? Yeah. Like, where were our... We are playing two defensive midfielders. We might as well have been playing none. It was, it was a waste of time. They were... They were just being bypassed and they weren't putting any pressure on high up the field to at least, you know, at least think, oh, well, they were, they were trying to close it down and they didn't get there in time. They, I don't know what they were doing. They were just, the ball was just going past them nonstop. And then on the ball, I thought he was just giving it away. He, he was giving it away a lot. Yeah. Just like regular as clockwork. It was just a ball behind the fullback who was charging on or a ball played far too far in front of him. I, I suppose... <laughs> Maybe what I'm thinking about is that he, he had the ball, I don't know if he had it more often, but he had it in in tighter areas more often and he was finding all their midfielders, bringing them into the game, rather than like the thing I was accusing him of after the Fulham match was taking the ball too deep and rolling it to Mings, who clears it over the top. Like that, that wasn't happening tonight, and I think Doggy was a bit of a reason for it. I do think he gave the ball away far too often. I, I agree that his positioning and Nakamba. Now, I think he was asked to do a bit of a different role. I think he was because Nakamba was there, asked to go and get on the ball and, and make something happen. No, he didn't make enough happen. I, I know that, but I was just a bit more excited seeing him involved a bit further up the pitch and and not just dicking around the back and doing nothing. Again, we, we still we want the bar raised for him. But I think I think like when you're talking about positioning as well, Nakamba's Nakamba's supposed to be a holding midfielder. You see when Villa are in attack. His his position is awful. Just watch for they were down the, the right corner early on in this game, and the camera's at the edge of the box, the edge of the Liverpool box. And once Liverpool caught it out, there's no there's no anchor there stopping that from doing anything. And you wouldn't even mind if the camera was offering. Like you know he's not offering anything at the edge of that box. You know he's not even going to look for it. So you have to wonder what the fuck is he doing? Like he's just leaving these big gaps for for a player who seemingly only wants to just try and win the ball back. It's bizarre that he, he abdicates that when Villa are attacking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nakamba's position is dreadful. And he does he does drift up with the play, which is an odd trait for somebody who is supposed to be, like you say, a holding midfielder, but also somebody who doesn't want the ball. Nakamba yeah. had the ball in space twice tonight and just kicked it away. Kicks it away. Because, a, because a Liverpool player kind of closed him down or started to close him down. But he still had a good second of time before he had to, you know, resort to hacking it away. Mm. But he just hacked it away. The start of the, both the first and the second half just lumped it out of play for throwing. The, I've got two players going up. Um, Emmy Martinez is one, and the other is Matt Target. Is <laughs> now we 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 talked a lot, very positively over the last. Definitely, at least half of the season now about Matt Target. He's been he's been excellent, but is he getting is he becoming fast? He looked he looked sharp across the ground today, and not even in a uh, he's, he's been mentally sharp and he's been tuned in and making the right decisions and having the right yeah the right positioning. But he, he looked fast across the ground, like he was he was no he was giving himself a head start in that. But he was the one that was stopping Salah 
you know, having those fast breaks. It was it was Target who was in behind him all the time, and and he didn't look lacking for pace. It, it, he's definitely gotten faster, but he's definitely not fast. <laughs> his positional play is absolutely excellent, and his reactions and sense of what's about to come has gone up to such a degree that he's now just a brilliant, brilliant fullback. I mean, he's he's absolutely incredible in a defensive situation. And like I said, whenever he started turning the tide for himself and turned what was undoubtedly one of the worst seasons anybody was ever having since I started supporting Villa. I mean, he was dreadful the first 10, 15 games of the season. And he has turned it around. But he turned it around by being decisive. Like, whatever he does, the move is ending, both in an offensive and a defensive situation. I mean, he's either cleaning the player out... (laughs) Or he's you know winning the ball back. He's just being so decisive in it. It's it's the ball is never both the ball and the player aren't going past him. Yeah, and in an attacking sense, he's just being so decisive as well because he's just whipping the ball into the box yeah. every time he gets it. Like he, he's he's gone on to another level, and he'll be in the running for the Villa Player of the Season because you know whenever whenever bad performances are overcome by good performances, nobody. But it's the end of the season that people care about. You know, whoever wins the Champions League gets the ball on door. Doesn't matter how bad they were before Christmas. It's what happens after Christmas that people remember whenever they're voting. Yeah. And Matt Target has been so good since Christmas that he's definitely going to be competing for the Player of the Season. Yeah, and it's not even one of those ones like you are right. And I, but I wouldn't even be um, annoyed if he won it because he has been one of the better players. You know, since he's turned it around, and he deserves more credit for turning it around so much. Not even just stopping himself being bad he's, he's become one of the better players and it brings me on to to matt cash so i haven't gone down on the vitamin meter and like you know i love matt cash but he's not impacting games going forward like i was going to say at all i know he whipped that ball and it's unfair because if el Ghazi just puts the header away then he's got an assist to his name but but that makes me more annoyed at how little he's been given aston villa going forward like it's Talking about wanting to bring your game on to the next level, so Cash is excellent defensively, and you know he's fine when we're trying to move the ball out, but he's not he's not delivering anything. He's not he's not a threat. He doesn't like we talk about the amount of class right backs in England have. The Cash can be as good as him, but he needs to start he needs to start going forward for one, and then and then doing something when he does go forward. And I know it's not easy with Bertrand Ferrari in front of him. I actually think. That's a big hindrance because it is very hard for the fullback to get forward when your when your right winger is either just flicking the ball away first time or coming inside fifty meters first time, like you know, and and flying across the pitch into the center. So it does ruin Cash's ability to have an effect on games in an offensive point of view. But I still I still want to see more. He still has those opportunities like he had with El Ghazi. Like that just makes me think he needs to be doing that more. He's got a good right foot, like. Let's start. Let's start like moving your game on to the next level. Yeah, I I think the thing that irks me most about Matt Cash is that he makes bad decisions whenever he is galloping forward. I mean, he gives it to the winger or inside to the forward or back in further back to the midfielder at the wrong time. Whenever he's got space to run into, he should be carrying it more himself, and yeah. he never gives himself the opportunity to then get on to the end of. To get on, on to the end of a return past him because he's just giving the ball to somebody who's in too tight a position and they can't get it back and the move breaks down. A lot of a lot of Villa's play breaks down when it's on the right. 
Now, that's commonly to do with Trorori, but a lot of it's just because Matt Cash hasn't just gone. He hasn't just taken the decision himself. He's given it to the player far too early and often in the wrong position. And I think, again, it was, it was more standout tonight because like Andy Robertson and Trent basically won that game for Liverpool. And I know that they're you know, a level above at the minute, but I don't see why Cash shouldn't be aspiring to that level. And it does show how important fullbacks can be. It's not just defensively. Like, you can change the game, especially, and I don't want to get into it, like, especially when Grealish is out. Like, we need this coming up from from other players and the fullbacks are important players in in an attack and I, I just don't want him coasting and not and not getting involved well your fullbacks are incredibly important <laughs> leaving aside the fact that our wingers are bad and incredibly inconsistent but your fullbacks are incredibly important whenever you're playing inverted wingers if you're going to persist with Bertrand Trory on the right wing the Matty Cash has to go 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 past yeah. him non-stop he, he can't just be hanging back even the shot he took tonight he takes that about 10 yards too early. Yeah. Like, he's got so much time to earn so much space to run into there. And he just drills it. Just keep going. Like, definitely have the shot, but you've got loads of time before you have to take that shot. You're not going to scream one past Allison from 40 yards. I don't care how bad a season he's having. Yeah. Take it in. Give yourself a chance. And that's probably where then as well he needs to be having a conversation and obviously the management team with the midfield. Like, like the you know the reason Robertson and and Trent are so good for Liverpool is because they're protected usually by by a great midfield by Milner and by Fabinho and by Henderson. Like you know, how often does Henderson just close down that right wing when when they need to when Trent is caught out? The rare times that he's caught out going forward, like the the idea is not to lose the ball up there. So that shouldn't happen all the time. But when it does happen, and like that's why you're playing Douglas Louise and that's why you're playing Nakamba to to stop that happening. And don't worry, my target's back there. He'll look after it. <laughs> well, like, yeah, if your midfield three is Douglas Louise, Nakamba, and John McGinn, and your fullbacks don't feel like they can go forward, yeah, then don't fucking play that midfield. Yeah, that's a good point. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Was that the biggest overreaction of all time from Jamie Carragher to a very simple touch from Roberto Firmino in the middle of the pitch? under no pressure, and the touch wasn't even that good. It bounced up for him. It's unbelievable. It's, it's so pathetic, and it comes back to the thing I was saying at the start. Let's get him off fucking Liverpool games. Yeah. Like, he, he was desperate tonight to point out that Bobby was playing well. Like, grow up. He's not playing well. The fucking state of that finish, but that touch was just... Like, I know Jamie Carragher was a clumsy centre-half, <laughs> but he was a professional footballer. He could kill a ball under no pressure in the middle of the pitch that only went about 20 foot into the air. And he could kill it cleaner than that. The ball bounced away from Firmino. Like, it's not a good touch. Not only, even if he kills that dead, it wasn't remarkable. But he doesn't even kill it dead. <laughs> I I genuinely thought I missed something because he, we've heard it before from him, but he had that, oh... And, and he kept talking about it as the game was going on. And then I was like, right, they're going to show a replay of this. And they did. And I was like, right, there's nobody around him. So I, you know, now I know that he hasn't flicked it through somebody's legs or you know, done something incredible with a player hanging off him. And I thought, maybe it's something to do with whatever way he kicked it with his foot. And he literally just tries to take a touch with the top of his foot with a ball coming down. And he, he does it ineffectively. 
And uh, honestly, they talk about a piece of overreaction from a biased co-commentator. Yeah, and you're right. Like I was actually wait, desperately waiting for the replay because I assumed, yeah. yeah, I assumed he caught it with the top of his foot and rolled it through his own legs. That was the only thing I could think of that he must have done. But no, he tried to take a good touch and <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> How unreasonable is it to start having doubts about Dean Smith? Incredibly unreasonable. You think so? Uh, absolutely. I mean, like, Villa's, Villa's squad's not there. I mean, Villa's squad is... Definitely a mid, even with Jack Grealish, is a mid-table squad, and like squads will always find you out. Managers are limited by their squad; they can get the best out of them, but they can't get more out of them. You know, players are who they are. Bad managers don't make the best of their players. Good managers do, and I I think it's fair to say that Dean Smith is getting the best out of this incredibly average crop of what does he have? Fourteen players, and the duo is gone like it's it's unbelievably difficult like we're playing liverpool like that's like let's, let's not overreact here we got beaten by the champions who were six games at home having not won they were they were always going to have some sort of a reaction tonight and look at liverpool's midfield that was apparently decimated tonight it was fucking fabinho winaldum and james milner they brought on tiago <laughs> Liverpool are incredible. <laughs> yeah. But overall, like I just there's just too many decisions that Dean Smith is 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 making over and over that's affecting Villa's results, I think. And again, I know I know sorry, I know overall that it's it's going to be positive. We're going to stay up, but we've got forty four points now, and I would be surprised if we get over fifty points. There's eight games left. Nine games, eight. And um eight games and against tough opposition we have to play Everton twice we have to play City we have to play Chelsea we have to play United <laughs> you know it's um, it's going to be a tough running Leeds will finish ahead of Villa this season I don't know if Leeds have a better squad than Villa and all I'm seeing is some of the same mistakes over and over and like you say he's only got 14 players like that's true but in Smith's head and this isn't a good thing regardless of the squad he has in Smith's head he has 10 players he has to play another one to fill out the team and then sometimes he has to make subs, but he will only make them when he absolutely has to. And like I said, I don't, I don't know what evidence he needs with Ross Barkley to decide that he is not one of his 14 players. I don't know how much more evidence he needs from Keenan Davis from the last game to this game to decide I'm not going to play him at all. There's just these these little things. And, and we've mentioned it before, like just the, the lack of flexibility and changing things up when you need to change it and yeah not changing things when Grealish is going to be missing for what will be close to half of the season by the time the season's over and not doing anything about that either I, I, I just like look I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro Dean Smith for the most part but I think there's a lot of learnings and I have a bit more sympathy for the fans who maybe push that panic button a bit more often I, I can't stand over the Ross Barkley decision. Stop, fro- <laughs> stop throwing that back in my face. But let's get real about some of the other things you said there. He thinks he's got 10 because he doesn't have any players. Like Keenan Davis. Yeah, he did well the last game. Keenan Davis hasn't scored in the Premier League. He's a centre forward who hasn't scored in 50 appearances or whatever it is. And finishing between 9th and 14th is irrelevant. Who cares where you finish in that group? 
it's whether it's whether or not you're doing better. Like Villa were never going to finish ahead of Man City, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, or Everton. Like Arsenal have surprised even me, who had no no prospect of Arsenal doing well. I thought they would be finishing ninth, and West Ham have surprised me they're doing better than I thought they would. But like they were never going to finish any higher than the ninth position. So finishing between ninth and fourteenth is irrelevant. The six below them are absolutely shit. So there's no big, there's no big great achievement for me. Finish saying Villa would finish between ninth and ninth and fourteenth. That was nailed on, and it was nailed on by the players that Aston Villa have available to them. Villa need to buy three attacking players, and they need to buy a centre midfielder. Like you, attackers are so important. And when you're when you have absolutely no idea what you're going to get from El Ghazi, Bertrand Traore, or Trezeguet game to game, then you're you're really really hamstrung. I suppose that's part of it as well. It's just how bad the performances have been. I think they, I think it would be easier to take if they were playing better. Like actually, saying that last year, like Villa, Villa were very good last year. Remember the start of first half of last year, and they, they they kept losing out. That they were often ahead, and mistakes would cost them, and they would lose so many points from winning positions. And yeah, obviously Smith and his team deserve credit because they're one of the best at that now, by by not losing points, but. But they were playing well, you know. There was like we talk about Dean Smith's tricky villains and 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 Dean Smith being a a progressive, entertaining manager. I just don't know. Like I was, no, in fairness, I was trying to cry a result out of it. I was trying to jinx it by texting so many Liverpool fans and telling them not to worry about this match. But but I was being serious as well. I, ha- I had to say to all of them, like you do not understand just how bad Villa have been. You haven't watched them. Do not worry about this match. You are getting the win. Didn't think it would be that tough for them, but it was only tough because Liverpool kept missing chances. I, I like since January, Villa have have been terrible. Got the odd result here and there, but for the most part, they've just <laughs> even those results they were they were bad. And I think that's probably what what I'm thinking about when I when I talk about overall. Like again, there's there's a there's an overarching part of that overall <laughs> where Villa are on course in the grand scheme of things. But if you go from that macro level into just a little bit more, not micro, but just a little bit of a smaller bubble, where in general it's it's not good what we're seeing, and I expect more from a from a Dean Smith coach side. Yeah, like and don't get it, like yeah, whatever. Like yeah, it's it's better than last season. Who gives a fuck? It's really fucking annoying how shit we are now. But it's only really annoying in the context of how good we were at the start of this year as well. Yeah. And you say we were good last year, like we, you know, we were dominating games and stuff. But that was only for about ten games at the start of last season as well. Yeah, yeah. We were fucking dreadful last year. Like after lockdown, Dean Smith had to turn into the most boring manager in the country to keep us up. We were shite. We were dreadful. The players were shit then, and they're still shit now. We've just managed to make an improvement in some positions, but we still have a lot of improvement to make. Villa were always going to be a mid-table team this season. And it was always just about whether or not that would be enough to keep Jack Grealish. And then we can take the next step next year. You need successive cycles of improving. And you have to be improving. And we're definitely improving. But yeah, it's fucking terrible how terrible we've been. Like losing to Sheffield United, drawing with Newcastle, and was it Wolves as well? That three-game run was just turgid it was unbelievably difficult to watch I think we followed that up with a defeat to Spurs when we couldn't have been worse mm. like it, it, it's been it's been really really fucking hard to take 
because we've been so fucking shit. And that needs to be called out. And there does need to be questions there. But I think the questions are largely answered by how shit a lot of our attackers are. And just finally, where does Ross Barkley go next? Who cares? Because <laughs> I was thinking about the if we, if we went back 10 years ago, the logical move for him is QPR, who would just <laughs> overspend on an overrated player, or Sunderland. But those those clubs aren't around anymore. Like you know, even Sheffield United seemed to be the last of them. Like when they got caught with Ray and Brewster, you know, thinking this guy's coming from a big club. Let's spend a bit of money on him. Um, I, I just don't know how much players are going to do that. Like Newcastle, actually, it's probably Newcastle. That's where he ends up, right? Yeah, almost certainly. And Ross Barkley has taught me a lesson. It, like you never ever buy a player who's on a downward trajectory. Like it just it isn't going to work out. Ross Barkley has had been shit to average for Chelsea for the last two years. You know, Sanchez had been shit for Arsenal for a year. Ericsson had down tools for Spurs for a year. Whenever a player who everybody considers has already made it, whenever that player is a name and they're no longer good, they're not getting any fucking better. Yeah. Forget about it. And that's put me off Deli Alley now as well. It's it's like you know, the, the standard of football at this level is too high. Like You, you can't... You can't take a year off of pissing about. You're going to get caught out. It, it, we've seen it over and over. I was sort of thinking about Lingard. He didn't take a year off, in fairness to him. He just wasn't making the United team. And now he's doing really well at West Ham. Like, you know, like that's, he's probably leveled a little bit up just above that. But he's, not, he's just not good enough for United. He's not on a downward trajectory. Yeah, he wasn't good enough for United, but he was still trying his fucking socks off. Like any time you saw Jesse Lingard, he was still, he was still running himself into the ground. He was still trying to be good, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He isn't good enough for a club the size of Manchester United, and that was affecting his head as well. Yeah. And the Man United fans were ruthless with him as well because he was so ineffective in games. And that's obviously going to affect him. He just needed a fresh start. Ross Barkley needs to retire. <laughs> and that's it for another grim podcast, another glum day, and. To make it worse, we've got Man City next year coming off the back of a defeat. <laughs> so they're not going to have that bench that they had today. They'll just have a bench probably equally as expensive. But um, they'll have all the big guns out and they'll make sure to hammer Villa into the ground to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's something we've all got to look forward to. So um, we'll see you then. <laughs> if you want to stick around for it, maybe just wait for the game after that when uh, we might hear about Jack Grealish almost being back. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.